at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them. So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to the Sif Pop Writer's Room Review Roundup with Robert and Rowan. My name is not Aaron. I am Robert. And I'm one of the two editors at SifPop.com, and he is Rowan, a SifPop writer. Yes, indeed I am. Thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Thank you for coming on. The two of us were here today to talk about some of the biggest movie releases of January 2023. We're going to be talking about A Man Called Otto, House Party, Megan, Missing, The Pale Blue Eye, Plane, When You Finish Saving the World, Women Talking, and You People. Uh, We have time codes in the episode description if you only want to hear us talk about certain movies. And we won't be discussing spoilers. Also want to mention quickly that there are a few horror movies that came out in January that got some decent buzz slash discussion. Fear, Infinity Pool, Sick, and Skinamarink all came out and had people talking. But I'll out myself and say that I'm a, a, a big wimp, so I didn't see any of those. I'm still trying to psych myself up to go see uh, Infinity Pool, but we'll see if that comes across. So I apologize, but this is not your podcast to hear <laughs> discussions of some of the newer horror movies. Uh, bigger ones later in the year, I'll definitely get to on this on this recurring episode. Lastly, we'll be re- rating each one of the movies that we're talking about on the classic Pop scale of like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. Um, so those are the uh, those are the options. Just so uh, you got them out of the way now, and I don't have to repeat them nine different times throughout the rest of the episode. We're going to go through the movies alphabetically. So with that, let's get into these movies. Uh, since we're going alphabetically, we're going to start with a man called Otto. And since I feel like it's only been two and a half minutes, but I (laughs) feel like I've been hearing myself talk too much. So Rowan, what did you think of a man called Otto? Um, in, uh, when it comes to a man called Otto, I really, really like this movie on the verge of loving it. Um, and I have a feeling that a lot of that is because this movie employs emotional manipulation to the extreme, (laughs) um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, and it does work. Uh, it, it, so I saw this movie with my whole family. So it was uh, – my whole family almost never watches movies together, but we went to see mm-hmm. this at my local theater. Uh, and so that was definitely a bump to the experience already. Um, and then I'm not sure what I expected. Um, I did read a little bit about it beforehand. I knew that it was based on a Swedish novel, which was then adapted into a Swedish film. That's uh, A Man Called Ove. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, I knew that Tom Hanks was in it. And Tom Hanks is, I think if there's an actor that is impossible to dislike, it is Tom Hanks or it is like, or, or Tom Hanks is the closest that you can get to that. Because um, sure. he's, you know, he's called America's sweetheart for a reason, right? Um, but a, a man called Otto managed to get, uh, to put, me in head spaces that I was not emotionally prepared for um, and, and that I just wasn't really expecting. Um, it's sweet. It's heartbreaking. It's kind of depressing at points, um, but it made me cry or tear up almost 10 dif- uh, times at different oh points in the movie. Um, and I am not sure why that is. Um, mm-hmm. it, it does deal with some pretty heavy themes, but generally I, I think it's um, Tom Hanks is, is great as he always is, the supporting cast is great. Um, and it's very conventional and very, 
I don't like using the word cliche anymore when it comes to movies, but I, I, I will say when you're looking at like the basic story beats and the conventions that it uses, a cliche, I think is a pretty good um, way to, to describe it. But generally, yeah, this is um, a very emotionally affecting and um, if very conventional uh, film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, had you seen a trailer before you went to see this? Because you said you didn't know much about it going in. Yeah, I, I, I only saw... Um, the only thing I'd seen before I saw it was the opening five minutes uh, because I, I work at the theater that I saw it at. Okay. And so I had to um, I had to test out uh, the the file that we got beforehand. So I did see the first five minutes and then I went back that night uh, and watched um, and watched the rest. But yeah, so I, I hadn't even seen a trailer. All I knew is that. Um, yeah, all, all, all I knew is the basic premise and, and the fact that it was. Um, this is a less less of an Oscar baiting movie than I think some of the other ones we're going to talk about today, but it, it still sure. feels like, hey, we're going to spotlight Tom Hanks. We're going to like maybe just maybe this will give him some some recognition. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, th- th- that was just what I was thinking about it going in, and I was not prepared at all for what it was going to make me feel. I think um, right there might be the main difference between our two feelings about the movie because mm. I'm in. It was okay. I didn't dislike it, didn't love it, but I, I thought it was fine. My problem was that I f- feel like I had seen that trailer three thousand times, right? <laughs> going into it, um, and the first time I saw the trailer, I knew exactly what the movie was going to be, and it was that. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be after seeing the trailer and re-seeing the trailer over <laughs> and over. So yeah, it's beat for beat what what it seems like, and. To me, I feel like it appeals to a very certain demographic. So I was in there with my wife. We're a couple 20-somethings. <laughs> but in a packed theater, we were heavily in the minority of people who I suspect were in their 50s and 60s who were loving it. And I was rolling my eyes a lot. Though I do admit, um, to your point, it, it worked on I, I didn't tear up or anything, but it did work on me emotionally, especially by the end. The one place that I'll say I wasn't expecting based on the trailer was that um, Otto, Tom Hanks's character, is suicidal. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not a spoiler because that's like in the first five, ten minutes. Right. Um, and I was just like, oh, this look this looked like grumpy old man with a heart of gold underneath. But <laughs> there's a lot more depth and darkness underneath even that um i don't really have too much to say about it i think tom hanks is is good he's fine you're right tom hanks is great and i it i don't really need to go into how great of an actor tom hanks is right. especially after you talked about it um it was a bit refreshing to see him go back to this after a year where he did elvis and <laughs> pinocchio exactly um, <laughs> uh so i i'm happy to see him do just something a little bit more straightforward again yeah, Mariana Trevino. I, it was easily my favorite part of the movie. She was yeah. the most believable part of the movie for me. She's the mom that Otto, uh, the grumpy old man Otto, kind of forms an interesting and surprising bond with. You know, he starts opening up to her way in a way that he hasn't to anyone else in a long time. So yeah, she's easily the best part of the movie to me. She's most believable. Even Otto is just a little bit too over the top, and everyone else in their little neighborhood is a little bit too goofy or caricature yeah. for me until the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anything else that you wanted to mention about A Man Called Otto? Well, I, um, I, I, I do think it's interesting that your film-going crowd was composed primarily of older people um, because it was mm-hmm. the exact same for me. I think uh, my brother and I, my brother who's 15 and me who is 20, were absolutely the youngest people in the audience. Uh, and and I, th- I think my parents were probably the next youngest, and I think that's really saying something, um, because the, the 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 population of my home uh, hometown and the the theater going audience primarily is uh, older people of the sixty to eighty range, um, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't know I I think I read this somewhere uh, someone said it this is like a Marvel movie for the blue hairs, uh, and I think that that is a, a perfect description based on uh, my my experience. But also to to speak to your point briefly about. Um, you felt like you saw this trailer 3000 times and I, I, I didn't. So I didn't have those sorts of expectations. I think right. that is the strongest um, point to why to, to like the efficacy of, of trailers. Like it, it might work once if, if you see it, it might get you excited. But then if you see it so many, like so many other times, it might hammer it in so much to the point that it may not be as enjoyable to see the finished product um, as as it might have been had you not even seen the trailer in the first place. Sure. And on top of that, when the movie doesn't really deliver much that the trailer doesn't telegraph, it kind mm-hmm. of makes that experience a little bit more difficult. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I'll say, and give me one second as I look up the director of this movie. It's uh, Mark Forster, I think. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Very colored, uh, colorful filmography from him. World War Z and Quantum of Solace and Christopher Robin and this. Yeah, pretty varied. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say Quantum of Solace is easily my favorite out of all of his. <laughs> really? Least, yeah. I'm, I'm a Quantum of Solace truther. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's difficult for me to see modern movies employ social media and uh, modern technology like smartphones. So... Mm. Th- this this would be a bit of a spoiler if I gave more, any more details, but there's one scene with the use of social media and streaming that is wholly unbelievable to me, and it kind of stops the movie dead in its tracks um, yeah. for whatever sort of momentum it had for me, <laughs> who wasn't really having a good time in the first place. The way I put it on Letterboxd was, I think, something like people who aren't of a certain generation just shouldn't try to employ this sort of thing into their movies because they obviously don't have that sort of understanding of it. So it's not that big of a point, but it's something that I've been thinking about ever since I saw the movie. And I just, just wish it was better. There, there, there have been ways that it's been done well. Eighth grade being, of course, the first example right. that comes to mind. Just like someone who's been a part of the internet their whole life or who has a, a large part of their life. Right. Not and, someone and- who's in their 50s. That's also the sort of thing that instantly age uh, dates a movie and and says, mm-hmm. oh, th- this. I I mean, I feel like the technology in this movie could have easily been made, I could easily had it in there ten like even ten years ago. Um, so in 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 a way, it feels a little bit older than it actually is. But so there we go. That's a man called Otto. Let's move on. Oh, and if you want to read on Sifpop.com, Sifpop writer Sam wrote the review for that. If you want to have a more formal written piece, um, let's move on to House Party. Uh, house party (laughs) sorry (laughs) this is going to become a theme so i thought house party was okay (laughs) um i think there's a lot of promise to it and i i admit that i did have a consistent amount of chuckles but not very many laughs uh if that distinction makes sense there was enough that it was just like funny enough that i was like hey that's funny that that tickled me in a 
in a marginal way. Um, but at the same time, the pacing of the movie was just abysmal. I think yeah. every single scene goes on for about five minutes too long. Um, maybe not that long, but maybe every single scene does go on too long and the jokes get hammered into the ground, even when they were initially funny. Um, because like I said, there are a lot of really good running gags and there are a lot of good, uh, funny moments like kid Cuddy is in this. And I thought he was pretty hilarious. I think Melvin Gregg is really funny. He has a recurring bit where he is threatening people and, uh, his threats just go way over the top and go on for way too long. And, it's just really funny to me. Um, and there's a guy who thinks he's time traveling every time he gets high. It's There's just a lot of stuff, recurring jokes that were really funny. Um, it's just the pacing and the overall story being so incredibly basic that don't work for me at all. What about you? I really liked House Party. And I think a fair amount of that was incredibly low expectations, like mm. in the basement. And also the fact that I watched the original um the week beforehand have you have you seen the original no that's a good point to bring up that this is a remake and i haven't seen right. the original i would so I, I would call it more a reboot than a remake because the original okay. is sort of a hangout movie uh where there is not really very much of a plot and a lot of the jokes are um a lot of the jokes are one-off um but this one has definitely a a better sense of story um and a better like I guess a better timeline of, 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 of jokes and of comedy. Um, so <laughs> I feel like this is one instance where I'm more biased than not, but how biased can you really be when it comes to movies? It's like you with a man called Otto. It's like right. your, your viewing was influenced by um, seeing the trailer 30,000 times. My, my viewing of house party was influenced by um, incredibly low expectations and I guess I, I didn't really like the original. Uh, I, I don't tend to really like those sort of hangout movies. But this one, I don't know. I, I just I just thought it was so much fun. Uh, I, I just thought the the leads and especially the supporting cast had so much energy. Um, the, the, the subplot with, with Kid Cudi I think is just hysterical. It comes out of left field and it's so impossibly random. And it's absolutely what I would do if I was told to remake uh, uh, House Party or, or, or make something of the like. Um, but honestly, I think the, the biggest way that this movie is held back is the fact that it is supposed to be a remake or a reboot of house party. And it, it feels sort of beholden to that vibe and to, and, 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 and to the story of doing the, the house party as the main focus. Um, because I feel like this movie could have gone bigger and been better had it not been, um, had, had it been freed from the ties of being beholden to the original in, in, in those ways. Just a real quick disclaimer, if I sound different all of a sudden, it's because I was having technical difficulties and I am now recording from a different audio input source. So hopefully it's not too bad going forward for the rest of the episode. But we're going to wrap up our conversation on House Party real quick. Rowan, you mentioned how it feels beholden to the original. Um, and that's kind of interesting, and I hadn't thought of this till just now. This is a LeBron James-centric movie in a lot of ways because they're at his house. Um, you're not a sports fan at all, are you? Not at all. Uh, my okay. LeBron exposure is this in Space Jam. So that's the co comparison I was about to make was LeBron went to the Lakers, the L.A. Lakers, so that he could 
partly so that he could be closer to Hollywood and do more stuff like be in movies. And the two biggest movies that he's been a part of so far have been Space Jam 2 and uh, House Party. Um, to me, that's just a big LOL. Um, <laughs> I, and as a Celtics fan, I it, it makes me a little happy that LeBron's focus isn't on the Lakers. And I will also say, as a basketball fan, some of the jokes about LeBron felt like he's trying hard, too hard to not take himself seriously. Like there are jokes about his hairline and about him going to Miami and all that kind of stuff. That's stuff that he's been clowned on for like a decade now. Um, And he's just like, hey, guys, I'm in on the joke, too. I promise I'm not insecure. And it's like, (laughs) right, that's definitely how it comes across. Right. But yeah, I'm going to agree with you about the Kid Cudi stuff. That was the only time that the movie really seemed to do anything interesting or unique. Um, And again, we're dancing around what exactly happens to avoid spoilers. but. It's much it's, better it, as a surprise. A hundred percent. So yeah, any final thoughts on House Party for you? Um, not really. I, I, had, I had a really good time. And uh, at, at, at points, it can feel like a game of sort of celebrity spotting. There are a lot more mm. people in here than you think. Uh, and a lot of them come up not exactly organically. Uh, a lot of the time, it's, hey, look over there. Is that insert yeah. famous person here? Um, but I thought that that was, that was fun nonetheless. Cool. So with that, let's move on. The person who wrote the review for SifPop.com is Jeffrey. Um, he wrote a good review for that if you want to go read it. Now we're going to move on to Megan or M- Mithrigan or uh, <laughs> however you want to say it. Yeah. Whatever Megan stands for, I don't remember. Um, Rowan, what did you think of, of Mithrigan? I liked Megan um, or Mithrigan. Uh, I'm I'm firmly in in, in the liked it camp. But I think – so I'm conflicted on this one. I think more than – um, I am for any other movie that we're talking about today, specifically because okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it's very good. Like if 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 there mm-hmm. was a scale, not saying there is, but if there was a scale for determining what an objectively good movie is, I think Megan is like near the lower ha- like like part of it. Um, just in in terms of cohesiveness and thematic reson- uh, resonance, like oh AI is bad. We knew that this movie doesn't do a great job of sort of hammering that home in a less heavy-handed way. But I had fun with it, just like with 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 House Party. I think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I, based on um, the fact that this is coming from the people who made uh, Malignant, for the most part, um, I, I was expecting it to go a little crazier than it actually did. Um, but generally, I I thought it was fun. I laughed. I. I, I wouldn't say I was scared, um, but I, I yeah. there, there were moments when I was just thinking, why is this happening in this movie? This is this feels this feels random. And sometimes, you know, random doesn't e- always equal funny or clever or anything of the like. But I think when when you're taking a genre um, that has been, you know, you, you imagine that a lot of stuff has been done. Um, or, or, or most things have been done and, you know, there is not too much more room for creativity. Um, going completely in a different direction than what people might expect is the way to go. And I think Megan, um, for the most part, does that, um, at least for me. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I will not say I loved it, um, but I did enjoy the experience, most of all. Surprise, surprise. I'm also going to say that I thought this was okay. I didn't like Malignant. I'll say that. Though I do think at least the first two Conjuring movies are good, and they're mm-hmm. they're James Wan also. There have been some conspiracy theories out there that Megan was watered down because it took off on TikTok, and the studio wanted 
kids to be able to see it. So that's why it was rated PG-13 and not rated R and doesn't go as far as Malignant does, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is Malignant is just like wacky, over-the-top violence and gore in some cases. And Megan mostly is off-screen slash pretty tame. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that they laughed more than they were scared. And that seems uh, to be what you were saying as well. Um, my problem is that I didn't find it funny or scary. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, it kind of fails on both counts for me and that's fine. It's this kind of movie isn't typically my thing anyway. Um, and I wouldn't honestly have seen it if it wasn't for this review roundup, but, um, I do like what it's like. I do like its commentary. Even the more recent Child's Play, uh, which is obvi- which this is obviously kind of going off of and taking inspiration from. Uh, this is more to say than that one, or at least uh, is more direct in terms of how, especially like preteens are exposed to the internet and technology, and how uh, how it affects the way that they live and how it affects the way that they see the world and process a lot of things, including so, like the hardest thing you could process as as a kid of this age was which is the death of your parents mm-hmm. um i thought it was decent enough um i thought it was a bit rushed at the beginning and end i i wish it had taken some of the time that it devotes to everything in the middle and e- either developed the opening a little bit more or just not making the end so just kind of abrupt and here here's the big battle in the house and then it's done <laughs> yeah. um the performances are fine I still, I wish I had looked this up. Do you know how they did Megan? Was that a little girl? So like, I believe actually made up. Yeah, so I I believe it was the it, it was a child actor, um, made up, uh, and then voiced by an adult, and then mm-hmm. um, with CG enhancement later on, especially with the face and the eyes. I think were were, were the big things. I would imagine she had. Um, contact lenses but then that was enhanced to make her not blink and then the face was sure. was made more uh, more more plasticky in in post-production that would be my guess based on what i've seen and and, and what i know of the cast so maybe it was a bit of alita battle angel how they right. did that where it's like a, yeah a real person but you know computer enhanced so yeah i thought that was all well done and everything it was just you know this is the perfect january movie the, uh, there's the leftover Oscar stuff that people are still going to see. Um, but there's also people who want to move on and just kind of have some fun at the movies for a little bit. And, uh, by the looks of it, a lot of people are getting that out of this, which is just like a fun little time. Sif pop writer, Austin wrote the review for that. So go check out that review. If you'd like, let's move on to our next review, which is missing, which is a quasi sequel to searching, which came out in 2018. Did you see searching? I did not get a chance. Uh, I actually didn't okay. get a chance to see Missing either, so this is going to be a, oh, okay. a one-sided review for this one. Yeah, sure. I'll breeze through this pretty quickly then. Um, the, these are the two detective-ish movies where everything takes place on a screen, whether that's a computer screen or a phone screen or an iPad or something like that. Searching, I think, is a lot better than this, but it also struggles to get over its mode of storytelling being a gimmick. So to communicate everything that's happening. The characters inexplicably leave their FaceTime cameras on, on their computers just all the time, just so you can see what they're doing. And it doesn't always make sense in the world. It's like, 
I know anytime that I turn on my FaceTime camera accidentally, I mm. turn it off immediately because I hate seeing my face. Uh, yeah. It just freaks me out uh, uh, when I'm not expecting it. Um, but these people keep it on all the time. So it doesn't fully get past the allegations of being a gimmick. And specifically in the, term, in the case of missing, it doesn't really get past. There, there are a lot of twists. It's just like, and this happened. And actually this happened. And this person had this motivation. Um, <laughs> and for me, at a certain point, when you have twist after twist after twist, I stop investing in whatever you're showing me because I don't think that it's going to stay that way because you've just twisted away the last thing. So I really had that problem to a large extent here with missing. Um, And a lot of it is just Storm Reid, the main actress, just looking around a screen frantically. And uh, it it is what it is. But she's she's no John Cho, who was the main actor in Searching. Mm -hmm. But I'll cap it off by saying that the animation time that it must have taken and the man hours it must have taken to animate all of the, the screens and the iMessages and the Google searches and every single thing that appears on the screen, it is incredibly impressive. You know, there a lot of times when you see people on their phones or using a computer in movies, you can just tell it's fake. You're like, cursors yeah. don't move that way on computer screens. This doesn't look <laughs> like that at all. Um, so I fully give it props for that. Um, or even like when a teenager is texting and they're using capital letters and full sentences and periods at the end of their sentences, like exactly. no teenager texts <laughs> like that, but it doesn't do that in this. So it's just like, they get full credit for, for all that. Rowan, I want to give you a chance to ask any questions that you might have having not seen it. If not, we'll just move on to the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, so I have not, um, I, I, I didn't intend to see this. And, and in fact, I couldn't. Um, because it's, it's not mm. it's not playing anywhere nearby, and I'm starting a new semester and all that. Um, but is this is this yeah, yeah. a thriller? Would you say it's a thriller? Yeah, it's a it's a mystery thriller. So, mm. um, the girl, the main girl, Storm Reed, her mom goes on vacation with her new boyfriend because the dad died years ago, um, right. and she says, "Come pick me up at the airport a week from today." And when the daughter goes to pick up the mom and the boyfriend at the air, at the airport, they never show up. And she can't reach her mom by phone, by text, by anything. Her locations has been turned off and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, she takes to the computer and tries to mm-hmm. find her mom. So, yeah, thriller, mystery. Yeah. It's a good premise. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check out Searching. I've gotten lots of recommendations for that one. And then if I if I like it, perhaps I'll go to Missing as well in the future when it's on, on demand or something of the like. Nice. If you want to read the review for that, it was written by Jeffrey as well as the house party review. Um, so yeah, let's move on to The Pale Blue Eye starring Christian Bale. Rowan, what are your th- thoughts on The Pale Blue Eye? I thought this movie was okay. Um, and not to say that I had huge expectations for it, but just the cast alone, Christian Bale mm-hmm. um, as the lead, Harry Melling um, getting uh, sort of both straying away from type and also uh, staying in the... Uh, I guess I was about to say British, but he is not British in this movie, even though it would appear <laughs> nope. everyone uh, in this movie is British in, in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and in fact, it is set in America, so nobody is using their native accents. Uh, but I, yep. I think what, what attracted me to this movie first um, was the aesthetic and the setting. I think that um, West Point in the, uh, in the mid-1800s is 
just absolutely fantastic lends itself could lend itself to some fantastic production design um but generally this is a mystery that is a a little bit too long and b is not mm-hmm. extremely satisfying at the end uh, in fact there is not just one mystery going on here that's all i'll say about that um but they are both resolved in very different ways. And one of them I would say is more satisfying than the other, but then the resolution of the other one kind of nullifies the main mystery uh, in a way. And and, yep. and I just think that that is, and I, I know that this is based on a book and perhaps it's, it's, it's a relatively straight adaptation. I, I don't know. I haven't read the book, nor have I done much research into it, but this feels more literally, uh, uh, literarily narrative um, than it does for film mm. and sometimes those don't translate super well um so i think if i were to recommend this movie i would say watch it for christian bale and harry melling the scenes they have together are are the best of the bunch um even though it, it does get compl- it, it, it does complicate itself really it just keeps introducing new factors in a mystery that you like you're wondering how it's all going to tie together and then it does tie together but not in a very um not in a really interesting way if i i didn't like this um mm-hmm. But I will echo to begin your positive points, and that's that Harry Melling and Christian Bale are both very good. Specifically, Harry Melling, who was he in the Queen's Gambit? Um, I think that's what he was getting some some buzz for recently. Mm-hmm. I no, I've only ever seen him in Harry Potter, um, of course, and the the Coen Brothers movie. The mm-hmm. uh, he was in Tragedy the, of Macbeth. Uh, he played uh, Malcolm in Tragedy of Macbeth. I, I, I remember that. Right. That I had actually forgotten, but the one that I was referring to is Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, um, I have he's not in seen one that of, one yet. Yeah, that, I think that's the last actual Coen Brothers movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, where yep. they work together. Yeah, there's there's a few different segments in that, and he's in one of them, and he's, and he's pretty good in it. Um, anyway, I think he's very good in this. He's starting to do what Daniel Radcliffe did and is taking on just like a lot of varied indie roles, and that's... Mm-hmm. Indie seeming, I guess, since Netflix isn't necessarily indie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. It's cool. It's fun. Um, Christian Bale, just like we were saying about Tom Hanks, he kind of just has a baseline of you expect good things of him no matter what. Um, and he's and he's good in this. He's not like great. Some of the best Christian Bale that we've ever seen, but he's fine. But as a whole, I honestly think that the movie is just an absolute slog. I honestly uh, watched it. I finished it about twenty minutes before we hopped on here. I was excited to talk to you as it was, Rowan, but I was just even more excited to talk to you because that would mean that the movie that I was watching was done. Um, <laughs> that was that was my main my main thought about it. Uh, the twist at the end again. This is a mystery movie. Also, there's a twist at the end that kind of undoes a lot of what makes what came before it interesting. Kind of like you were alluding to, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not satisfying. Um, any any final thoughts for you on the pale blue eye? I do think it's shot very well, especially the scenes at night. I think it looks great, um, especially the uh, uh, the scenes at night with snow. I think that's a beautiful combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but but generally, that sometimes uh, aesthetic and production design is enough to save a movie if it's amazing enough. But here, it it just it's the best part, and and that's not really how it should be with uh, with a mystery where you have. Um, this cast and with such promise. So I will say I, I, I was a little disappointed by this, but not entirely, um, not entirely surprised. Sure. The final thing I'll add is that it takes place in the Hudson Valley and you mentioned West Point. 
mm-hmm. um, which is not too far from where I grew up. So it's mm-hmm. always fun seeing uh, your home area yeah. in movies, even though it's a hundred years before I was born. Um, <laughs> almost almost let's move on. 200 years, I suppose it's set in 1830 or something, right? Oh, 1830. You're right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Crazy. closer to 200 <laughs> than one. Yeah. Um, the, the, the review on the website for this was written by Foster. If you want to read more in-depth thoughts, let's move on to plane. Yeah. Plane. <laughs> Finally, I can say I liked it. Yes. Plane is good. Plane. I really <laughs> like this one. I'm already kind of seeing it in a similar light to ambulance from last year, which I loved. Um, I don't think this is going to make my top 10 like ambulance did at the end of the year, but plane is still a lot of fun. Um, it's got one of the better scenes of planes going down that I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I think of the gray and lost as two of the better examples. And I think it's on the level, if not better than those in some ways, Gerard Butler is surprisingly very good um, <laughs> for what it is. It's a movie where they crash land a plane on uncharted in like a, a off the map area that with pirates and, evil 80s villains yeah um so it's not like he's asked to do a whole lot but he but he he's up to the task especially in the more emotional moments mm-hmm. um and it has an awesome final action sequence i'll just say that i thought that that was all really great um with some gnarly moments gnarly in like a good action movie way absolutely um, i know exactly yeah, what, what you you're think? referring to <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i thought i thought i thought plane was good. Um, I have, I also had a lot of fun with it. Um, just like with house party, my expectations were on the floor. Um, and Mm -hmm. it was surprisingly pretty fun. I will say I did watch this before going on an actual plane. Um, it was only a couple hours, but, uh, I will, I, I will say I do not recommend, uh, watching this before going on a plane. Um, especially if I'm not a nervous flyer, but if you were, I don't, I don't think this would help in the slightest. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. just echo a lot of what you said, Robert. Uh, Gerard Butler's great. Mike Coulter, I think, is is really uh, having a lot of fun too. And uh, it, it's it's basic, you know. This is a basic movie with a basic title. Um, and if you go in uh, n- knowing knowing that, and just knowing that it's ridiculous, it's fun, it's crazy, and it only gets crazier as it goes on, um, I think you will absolutely um, have a good time. And surprisingly, like I was, I I thought this was pretty tense. I have a terrible Mm -hmm. habit of biting my nails. And I was doing that through a lot of this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite anxiety inducing, because just when you know the premise of this movie, you can probably guess how it's going to, uh, to end up. But generally, um, I I was um, I was on the edge of my seat, uh, even though I knew how it, it was going to end up. It's it's the journey, not the destination, of uh, actually getting. Yeah, you mentioned it has a it's very simple, straightforward title, and I think at times it does hold to the title a little bit too much. Yeah, uh, I saw a quote from Gerard Butler, who said something like, "What else would it be? It's about a plane," and it's like, well, it's not at some points. Um, and the movie focuses on the plane itself too much for, for some reason when yeah. there are other ways that it could go that might be more narratively and thematically satisfying. Um, but hey, it's a January movie called Plane starring Gerard Butler released in, uh, released in January. So I don't think you can ask for too much more than that. There's, there's not a lot to say uh, besides it's just a solidly fun time. It's about an hour 40. You're not you know, you're not going to, you're not in for a big time investment. 
So yeah, exactly. it's, it's just generally very good Yeah, uh, for what it is. So if my brother Heath wrote the review for Plane, if you want to read that. Let's talk about my favorite movie of the year so far, which is a very low bar. And I've only seen about nine or 10 movies from this year. Um, and that's When You Finish Saving the World, directed by Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Rowan, what did you think of this? Uh, so I just watched this movie uh, this morning and I liked it. Um, it's very um, it's very awkward and cringy. Uh, it, it is basically what you would imagine a movie directed by Jesse Eisenberg would be uh, without him actually mm-hmm. starring in it. Um, and it's it's really sweet. It's it's short. Uh, I, I I will say that is a big pro. Um, we need more short movies that use their runtime very very well, and this is one of them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 very bittersweet um, as well. It's 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 about two narcissists, um, a mother and son, played by Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard. Both are both of whom are very very good, um, and it, it's about them sort of coming to terms with the fact that they are in fact narcissists and realizing mm-hmm. that um, they uh, that what they believe is a hope for a genuine connection is more self-serving than they realize. Uh, and yeah, this is not so much a typical coming of age movie as I think some might expect. It's certainly nothing revolutionary, um, but there is, I, I, I suppose, a sense of honesty um, that you don't really see uh, when you look at coming of age stories. A lot of them tend to be a lot more sensitized um, than than this one is, um, because you know, life in in life, not everything turns out as you might expect, or as um, or you know, life isn't a movie. And I feel like this w- w- this film, when when you finish saving the world, is a lot more um, is a lot more true to life than I think um, most coming of age stories are. Sure, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, and I agree with you. So like I said, this is already my favorite movie of the year so far. Again, it's January, but uh, I, I really liked it. And I'm going to just echo a lot of what you said, um, especially the Jesse Eisenberg awkwardness that he obviously brings to a lot of his roles, to most of his roles, if not all of them. Um, he brings that when he's behind the camera also. Sometimes it can be a little overwritten and a bit cringy. Um, you know, he just takes the discomfort a bit too far. Uh, the uncomfortable nature is the point of it, but like I said, it's a little bit too much sometimes. So that's kind of where it's still just in the like it category for me. But he knows what he wants to say. And according to some interviews, Jesse Eisenberg, when he was about the age of the main character, the Finn Wolfhard character in this in this movie, um, he had a, the way he put it, he had a crush on a girl who he thought was much smarter than him. Um, and so he's doing the right way, you know, thing, and he's doing it well, in my opinion. And Finn Wolfhard was someone who I was hoping to see, you know, do something other than the kid from it and stranger things who's just kind of loud mouth swearing a lot, you know, picking <laughs> on his friends. And, uh, he does that really well. He does something else really well. in when he finished saving the world, he has a little bit of uh, guarded vulnerability that, the character doesn't want to be like that. He has a bit too much confidence for his skill level, knowledge level, and for like what he's, uh, for what he's portraying himself as. And I think that's an interesting angle to take. And I think Wolfhard does it really well. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, Julianne Moore is always great. So it's not surprising to see her give a good performance here the way she does. And there's, there's a good chemistry between the two narcissists is what you put it. Um, I actually wrote the review for this one, and I think 
I, the way I put it was that it's about two narcissists learning not to become so narcissistic. And uh, yeah, it's done really well. Any final thoughts from you on when you finish saving the world? No, that's uh, just about all I got. I, I thought it was great. Um, and I uh, thought Finn Wolfhard is um, not, not, not a terrible singer. Uh, I don't know if he's actually done music, but it, it seems like he, uh, he's, he's decently good at it. I, I don't know if he's actually playing uh, the guitar in this movie, uh, but he seems like he mm. knows what he's doing. Well, he's doing his job well as, a, as an actor if he does. There we go. So um, earlier you mentioned that there's a movie that you had rated higher than I did on Letterboxd, and it was going to make for some interesting conversation. Yes. And I think you were referring to this one which is women talking, uh, would that be accurate? That would, in fact, be accurate. That is my number one of uh, this year, just as when you finish saving the world uh, is yours. I So here's the thing, is that a lot of these are holdovers from the end of 2022, you right. know, from festivals and limited releases. So I actually didn't put this one on my 2022 ranking so far, but mm-hmm. if you want to, that's fine. Um, yes. Otherwise, it would be up there. But yeah, what did you think of Women Talking? Uh, obviously, it's your favorite movie of the year. So why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. Um, I was so I went into this one with no expectations. Uh, I, I think I personally have been I've been doing that a lot more when it comes to movies these days, uh, and I have been pleasantly surprised as we've as I've talked about a, a couple of times on the show. Um, so Women Talking mm-hmm. has an ensemble cast. Uh, and it almost functions like a play sometimes. Um, a lot of the action is centered in one location um, with a core cast of, of characters uh, that is all women except for one, and that is Ben Wishaw, um, the voice of Paddington mm-hmm. uh, himself, who is also doing great work. But the focus, of course, here is on uh, the women. Um, the cast includes um, Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, um, Judith Ivey, Francis McDormand uh, is in there for a little bit as well. And... Um, yeah, so women talking is set in. Um, is it? It's not an Amish colony, is it? Or a Mennonite colony? Mennonite, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it feels like a period film, um, but it, it in fact, uh, and and there is a moment about a third of the way through when you realize that this is not, in fact, a period film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a period film of sorts, but not in the way that you are expecting. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so. It, it 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 handles some very heavy themes and 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 it's basically um, a discussion about those themes for the duration of its 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 runtime and um, all of the actors all all of the performers here are absolutely fantastic um, all of them representing a a different facet or perspective on the issue that they're discussing um, which I would hesitate to to explicate because I feel like that is better left as a I don't know if a surprise is the right word um, but. Yeah, it's it's. I I just found it very affecting and and very moving, and I thought the writing was fantastic. I think uh, Sarah Polly is a very accomplished director as well. I will say I was not so much a fan of the way it looked. I think uh, the the color palette leaves a lot to be desired. A um, lot a lot of muted um, shades there, but generally I, I thought it just all it was a real sum of its parts in in terms of acting. Um, and script and and themes, uh, which I thought, in direct contrast to uh, of all things, uh, Megan, I thought the uh, the themes here were very very resonant and and um, had uh, a great resolu- a, a, a great, I guess I suppose trajectory over the course of the story with a really solid resolution uh, to finish it out. And also, the score, the soundtrack, Hildur, mm, um, uh, Good and Daughter, 
um, I think is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and honestly, I like this one a lot. I like this score a lot more than Tar, uh, which was nominated for several awards. So who knows? But yeah, anyway, I, I, I have her, her scores have grown on me a lot more and women talking is certainly no exception. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, first of all, about, I, I have seen this. I'll say that I thought yeah. low side of like it. I'll put, I'll put it there. Mm-hmm. Um, teetering on high side of okay. About the color palette. Mm-hmm. I was wondering as I was watching this, if it was just my theater or if it was actually like this, I know the, I knew going in that the color palette was going to be very muted and everything. So mm-hmm. that was not a surprise to me, but there was there like a strip of warmer colors on the left mm. side of the screen. I don't remember that. There very well may have been. And if there was, I might not have picked up on it. But I think, I don't think so. But okay. I can't say, I, I can't say it for certain. Um, that, that would it be very an well interesting touch. Been. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so here's the thing, because there's one moment when the camera is um, over a character's right shoulder looking at another character. And that other character is on the right side of the screen. And then through the dialogue, the, the camera moves slowly over to the, that character's left shoulder mm-hmm. and uh, the other characters on the left side of the screen. And in doing that, whether it was intentional or whether it was just the projector of the theater that I was in, um, that face was framed by now warmer colors. Um, and I thought it, it could have been uh, a very interesting and well done directorial choice if that was intentional. But as we're saying, I don't, I don't know if it was or if it was just yeah. my, my theater. Um Yeah. So with a movie like this that's been out at festivals for so long, it can be difficult to avoid reading about it or avoid seeing things about it up to this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I fully acknowledge that that did affect my viewing experience in some ways. Um, Namely that I saw some people mentioning that it came for, for a group of women who were illiterate and uneducated and had didn't even know what the map of their surrounding area looked like. They sound a lot like modern day feminist Twitter. <laughs> and yeah. um, I couldn't stop thinking about that at certain points because it really, really felt like that. The conversations were really intelligent and well done uh, in principle, but in the context of the movie, I don't know how much it worked for me. I know, as you mentioned each of the characters represents a slightly different view on what they should do. And not all of them work for me, particularly Jesse Buckley, who I usually really like. She just does a lot of yelling. (laughs) And I know it's a delicate film to talk about because a lot of people really respond to it. And we're just a couple of guys when this is, you know, exactly a movie, obviously, and not even to make the, the obvious joke, but it's, a movie obviously about just women talking about very accurate uh, title, right. About issues that are very particular to them, especially in a religious community too. But apart from Claire Foy and Rooney Mara, I had trouble connecting to and seeing the, the layers and intention behind some of the characters, especially the, the uh, Jesse Buckley one. Um, I liked a lot of moments and I liked a lot, of, a lot of the performances and obviously I like what it's talking about, but there is a disconnect, like I said, with 
the the context in which these women live and the way that they're speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's my main hangup. I really wanted to love this. I've been wanting to see it for a long time. It got its initial release date was at the beginning of December, and then it got pushed mm-hmm. back to the end of December, then it was beginning of January, it got pushed back to the end of January, and I was finally able to see it. I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I was just expecting a lot more. I I thought it was solid, but not great. That's fair. Yeah, it was, it was, um, I didn't, I genuinely didn't think that I would get to see this. And I was quite disappointed before the Oscars because mm-hmm. it was the last best picture nominee that I hadn't yet seen. And then it started playing at oh, the yeah. theater, uh, right down the road from my school. So yay. Nice. Very exciting. Um, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did see it. And so Robert, do you think it deserves, uh, the best picture nomination? That's like, I mean, I mean, obviously that's a very tricky question, especially considering that we are men. Um, right. The but, disclaimer that we brought up. Exactly. Um, I haven't thought about the Oscars enough to see what I would like hope was in there instead of certain things or what, whatever. But I will say it feels like a movie that would be nominated for best picture. Absolutely. So on that level, I think it, it's a perfect fit. But at the same time, if I was ranking it amongst the rest of the movies of 2022, I wouldn't have it in my personal top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll put it that way. Yeah. Foster also wrote the review for this one on the site. If you want to read a more full and organized discussion of this than just a couple guys going back and forth for a few minutes. Um, the last movie that we have here on our list is You People, the Netflix original starring Jonah Hill and Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, I'll start off and say that going back to the theme for our final movie, I thought it was okay. Those three people that I just mentioned are just great actors and hilarious people. But I think the way that the Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Eddie Murphy characters are written just veers too far over the top for me for it to work. It's about Jonah Hill, a white Jewish man falling in love with, I don't uh, don't remember the character's name, but Lauren London, who is a black Muslim woman. And it works better when it's a rom-com to me. And there are good romantic comedy moments. Like there's a, there's a funny meet cute between those two characters. Um, and just like some of their, their initial dating scenes are really charming and really fun. And that's a lot of what I look for. But then of course, as their relationships get, as their relationship gets more serious, they have to meet each other's families. Um, and that's where it gets, goes a little bit too far over the top for me because Eddie Murphy never gives Jonah Hill a chance. And Julie Louis-Dreyfus is trying way too hard, uh, to not be racist, um, that she is being racist. So, um, I'll, I'll keep it at that in terms of plot descriptions um, and just say that while all of the topics that this movie covers in terms of how uh, white people and black people relate to each other and how, how that works, especially in modern day America, all of those topics are important, but the way that it's covered is it's just too obvious for me to, to really right. get a lot out of it in this case. What did you think? Um, I'm going to go high side of just okay. Um, I thought it was fun. I mean, given the given the circumstances and the subject matter and the cast, um, I thought they did the best they could. Uh, I thought everyone was pretty much given it uh, their all. I think I ag- agree with you in that the the biggest issue with this movie is is the script and the presentation and the runtime. I do think it's a little bit too long. Um, that's another thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about two hours when I think you could easily shave half an hour off of that. Uh, especially considering mm-hmm. how messy the third act is in uh, how it all 
um, is is resolved by the end. Um, but uh, generally, yeah, it, it's it's simultaneously heavy-handed while also being relatively surface level um, in discussing its uh, its themes. Um, because yes, like the, these are um, the, 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 these are things that are still very timely and important. Um, unfortunate, uh, unfortunate as it is. Um, and sometimes you people has difficulty deciding whether to go serious or comedic with some scenes. Um, and, and, and of course that's a very difficult, um, balance, uh, to strike. And it does, I suppose, help that this was directed by a, a black man, um, given what this film discusses, but generally I, uh, yeah, it's 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 conventional. It's it's predictable. But the cast is just I don't know if 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 I would say that they're having fun uh, so much in this uh, movie as I would some other comedies. Um, but everyone does understand what they are making. And I think there's there's good intentions on almost every side of this. It's just the oh, fact yeah. that yeah. it doesn't necessarily turn out to be something entirely effective in the end. Right. Like you said, it's surface level. And that's, I think, its main problem. Um, right. Surface level and very obvious in the way that it goes about a lot of it. Like so much of the comedy is very obvious. For example, Jonah Hill is at lunch with Eddie Murphy and Niall Long, who are his partner's parents. Uh, and they're awkward situ- there's an awkward situation, of course. And then just the way he goes, oh, let me find a waiter. And then he gets up and just, you know, walks away trying to find a waiter to diffuse the awkwardness. <laughs> that is, uh, it's just a very obvious way of going about it. And it's one example out of many of, um, I feel like I've seen that exact scene in a hundred other studio comedies. Because it's Jonah Hill, because it's Eddie Murphy, because it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the delivery of the jokes is very funny a lot of the times. But the but the jokes are kind of vapid. And if I had tried to think about it five minutes later, I was like, hey, I just had a good laugh. What did I laugh at? I couldn't remember what it was just because the jokes were so simple. Um, I, I just wanted more from this, and I think there was definitely a chance for it. Unfortunately, it's just probably ultimately going to be lost to the to the algorithm on Netflix. Absolutely. Just because of what it is. Yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts on you people? No, other than um, honestly, when it comes to January movies, I think this month could have been a lot worse. I think this is not a, a, as terrible a selection sure. as one might expect. That's a good a good way to put it. So now that we've talked about all the movies that we were initially going to co- uh, cover, I think we each have one more. Did, did you have one more January movie you wanted to, to bring up? Uh, yes, I have uh, two options. So yes, I do have one. Sure, go for it then. What, what do you have? Cool. Um, can I ask what you are going to talk about? Because I don't want to use up yours. Sure. I'll, I, I'm going to talk about Shotgun Wedding. Okay, cool. So then I will go with my other one then. Um, okay. I'm going okay. to talk about a, uh, a movie that I saw at Sundance this year. So it may end up, so I guess in terms of being a, a January movie, it, it may not entirely fall into that category. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, this is, it's called sometimes I think about dying it is the only film I got to see at Sundance this year, uh, which I was disappointed a little bit about, but if I'm saw one, I'm glad it was this one. It stars Daisy Ridley, um, as a very socially awkward, uh, young woman who, um, sometimes she thinks about dying. Uh, she's not suicidal, but sometimes she does think about what it would be like to die. And, uh, that's completely normal. And why would you, and why would you even think that that's weird? Um, but this is a love story, uh, in a way, but 
in a deeper way, it is just an examination of what being socially awkward actually means and what it's like from the perspective of the socially awkward person, as opposed to, um, as opposed to uh, looking at it from an outside perspective, which I think is what a lot of uh, movies and and pieces of media tend to do. Um, but generally, yeah, this is uh, th- this is funny. It's sad. It's beautifully shot. Um, and and it could be slow and ponderous, but I think that is just a testament to getting inside the character, um, to, to just getting inside the character's head and, and seeing how um, she operates and really getting to understand her perspective on life and uh, and everything. So when this does get some sort of release, whether it's theatrical or um, or on streaming, I would strongly recommend checking this out. Nice. I've seen some people talking about this and mm-hmm. I'm definitely interested to see a performance from Daisy Ridley that isn't Ray in Star Wars. Absolutely. Um, because yeah. Yeah, she was in what Murder on the Orient Orient Express, but I think that's the only other thing and, uh, I've seen her and, in outside Star Wars. Yeah. She was in Chaos Walking, which I have which oh, I've been trying to stay far away from. <laughs> yep, yep, you should. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'll definitely be seeing this as whenever it releases properly because I didn't get to see anything at Sundance. But yeah, my movie was Shotgun Wedding because uh, the last writers' room episode I was on with Aaron and Shane. Uh, this was the coming attraction, and I told them I would talk about it on this episode. I didn't like it. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> simple. Uh, it had an, an interesting presence in terms of hey, jo- uh, Josh Dumel's and Jennifer Lopez's wedding gets hijacked by pirates. Their destination wedding, but shenanigans ensue, I guess. <laughs> but I didn't find it very funny, apart from the. Uh, maid of honor and best man character who I did think were very entertaining the entire time. But besides that, I, I didn't think there was much to this movie. What um, about Jennifer Coolidge? Normally... <laughs> I'll, so he, I will shout out one more Sith pop writer and he yeah. wrote this, this review. <laughs> and he mentioned that uh, Jennifer Coolidge seems so out of line with the rest of the movie and its themes, particularly with, uh, you know, learning to accept marriage and re- your relationship and all that. And Jesus out there talking about her sex capades, as he puts it in his review, that uh, it kind of cheapens the overall themes. And she's funny. She's fine. Like the, the original, the initial scene where she like comes into their, their room early on in the movie. It's, it's funny, but um, yeah, overall it was, it was just very whatever. And yeah. I was very bored. I, I try not to do, I try not to find myself, poking holes in the movie and being like, why didn't they do this instead while I'm watching it? (laughs) But I found myself doing that a lot. And for a movie that's intentionally silly, uh, I shouldn't have been thinking like that, but there I find myself anyway. So those are my thoughts on shotgun wedding. Uh, Anything else you want to add about any of these movies? Not really. Uh, I thought 2022 was one of the best years for movies uh, just in terms of creativity and originality that we've had in a long time. And um, we got some decently solid ones this month. And if this month is any indication, like if this month is the worst that we get in, in 2023, I think this is going to be a, a great year. Well said. <laughs> so with that, just a quick reminder that Sif Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com or if you want to get in contact us, maybe to send us a question to explore uh, on future Writers Room er- uh, episodes hosted by Aaron. Email at writersroom at sifpop.com. You can join me next month as I have Chantal on to talk about February movies, including Knock at the Cabin, uh, Ant-Man, Cocaine Bear, 
<laughs> Magic Mike. Most of all, 80 for Brady. Um, yeah. There should be, <laughs> heck yeah, 80 for Brady. Um, yeah. And please, if you're listening, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, until next time, though, we have to get back to the writer's room. <laughs>